Hello and welcome to DigFinvox Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, subscribe, let the algorithm know. Institutional investors are keener than mustard to get into digital assets, yet they still lack the kind of custody solutions that they require. My guest today to talk about this is Sven Werner, Managing Director at State Street Digital in London. He is responsible for building out State Street's custody proposition for digital assets, and Irfan Ahmed in Singapore, who's also at State Street working on the client side. Sven Werner, Irfan Ahmed, welcome to Digifin Vox. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks very much for having us. My pleasure. We're going to be talking about custody in the context of blockchain finance and crypto. This has been an ongoing question uh, around what makes custody so challenging in digital asset space. Uh, it doesn't seem to be that it's a like for like. Sven, you are um, in charge of the digital asset and payments infrastructure building at State Street Digital. When you're looking at creating an institutional custody approach in this space, what did you have to sort of go back to in terms of first principles and what did you have to get rid of? Yeah, that's that's actually an excellent question because uh, that very much describes um, a lot of the discussions we've had over the last uh, couple of months uh, whilst we have been on our journey to build that institutional platform. So I think the first point really is, is it doesn't really exist today, particularly when you look at uh, cryptocurrencies, to truly have an institutional platform. And what that means in a way is we are able to serve uh, institutional asset managers uh, who on the one side are subject to a set of their own asset management specific regulations um, in terms of uh, ensuring uh, things like ownership verification that you can truly confirm that the assets are there, but also as a regulated bank in terms of um, like compliance and ML requirements. We have to uh, bring that together and then say, well, to the extent um, the you know, crypto market being this decentralized uh, marketplace where there are a lot of um, the, the traditional uh, setups that you have in the custody space. You have a centralized market infrastructure, you have subcustodians, all of these kind of uh, typical elements uh, are missing. You have to really think, well, how do we uh, make something that is uh, custody today for securities being very much a, an idea about a centralized marketplace? Um, how do you really um, apply this in a decentralized market infrastructure? And so a number of um, aspects there are then difficult to uh, to really uh, get a hand around in terms of, for instance, uh, simple things like uh, you have a consensus mechanism and therefore, in a sense, a probabilistic finality. So every blockchain will confirm um, if your transaction is picked uh, that the settlement took place, but uh, you will have to wait a certain time in order to get uh, you know, confidence that this uh, being really the case. And so uh, what is a good choice? Do we wait two blocks, four blocks, six blocks? And uh, what is expected from our clients going forward uh, to how quickly they want to act based on these kind of confirmation? And that in turn then has an uh, impact on when would we, for instance, apply a certain um, uh, controls around uh, these assets now being in uh, custody of State Street. So that whole workflow in a sense is very, very different to how we would traditionally think about something. You know, a swift message comes comes in, you book it in the account and you're done. But now it's, it's kind of the opposite. A confirmation has happened. 
And now you start to think, hmm, is this the right time now to make these assets available? Or do we have to wait in order to get the confidence uh, that uh, the settlement actually took place? In the Bitcoin world, uh, for example, the ethos has been be your own bank. This is obviously not aimed at institutionals, but that's been the way that people have perceived the, the uh, I guess, call it a benefit of, of crypto, uh, be your own bank as opposed to relying on a third party. When it comes to institutions, obviously they've got compliance and, uh, and, and licensing and, and a variety of other uh, issues that makes that impractical. But how much of that be your own bank ethos has to go into a custody solution designed for digital assets or do you have to sort of ignore that, put that aside, and still have uh, something that's a very, um, you know, licensed or regulated central intermediary role? Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent question. Um, so in a way, I think it has to go um, really be part of your 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 long term vision. This is ultimately, if you think about um, digital assets, they are inherently a a peer-to-peer decentralized um, technology or enabling a peer-to-peer decentralized marketplace based on this kind of technology. You can't just like uh, simply ignore that in a way, provide the flexibility that uh, this can be, the benefit of this uh, can be made available to clients. Now, um, I think the, the, the challenge in a way is that certain types of regulated institutional investors at the moment uh, find a number of regulatory challenges to invest in, in crypto assets like a 40-act fund in the US or a, a usage in, in Europe. So in a way, what um, exactly will be expected uh, from those organizations in the future, if and when they can invest in these instruments, um, is uh, has to be seen. I've seen uh, the first steps, for instance, in Europe with uh, MECA, so where the regulatory framework is now being established to, to potentially allow this uh, going forward. Now, uh, there's a reason in terms of why the industry is set up like it is today. You want to ensure that there is a, if you want a segregation of duties between the portfolio management and the back office in order to ensure um, you know, that the assets are really there and, and kept safely. So, so in that sense, having a organization involved to support that is uh, I think um, something that I would expect to continue going forward. However, <clears throat> a lot of the um, uh, benefits that are typically associated with uh, digital assets more broadly, not just crypto, but also in terms of tokenized financial instruments, then stem from this idea of having automated workflows uh, that at the very essence is an application of a smart contract. So you have workflow programmed into your digital assets. Now, uh, whatever you want to call that, that means that um, by investing in a particular type of uh, digital asset, an investor therefore would also subject itself to the associated rules uh, that are embedded in this uh, uh, smart contract and therefore even by being the custodian for this we then have to adhere to if you want uh, that kind of standard that's the first step in terms of providing a, a different kind of market model for different assets and the issuer that has those so assets quite a workflow. right that could create some issues for you the code may supersede what you would normally want to do as a as a service provider well in a way it would um uh, would uh, take over certain bits and pieces that uh, would today be done either at a CSD infrastructure level or custodian. And we just have to provide the flexibility to, um, if you want to uh, work with that uh, differentiated workflow that now could um, differ you know, from one asset class to the next. Erfan, you're working with clients in the Asia-Pac region. Um, as they're getting their head around being able to play in the digital asset space, 
what are some of the questions that you're getting from an, from a custody point of view? So there's been a number of questions that have kind of come forward from uh, institutional investors across Asia Pacific, and and really they're related almost solely around what is and isn't permissible as far as the jurisdiction in which they're looking to try and operate or create exposure or indirect exposure to these types of uh, cryptocurrencies or digital assets. One such item that's kind of come up of late has been the, the way in which ownership might be um, might be perceived by a regulatory jurisdiction. And, and not only that, but what would be the appropriate licenses that should be inferred um, to the provider of virtual asset services um, in terms of providing custodial services. So a lot of it boils really back down to the way in which regulation is being formulated in, in each one of the jurisdictions that our clients are looking to kind of create these services in. Um, not only that, but I think from an operational standpoint, um, because it's such a huge shift from what they know uh, and have been used to um, providing in terms of funds that they've issued or distributed in, in region, they, they need to kind of get their heads around what this might mean in terms of a digital first set of capabilities that they're looking to launch. So, you know, as early as 2017, where we started seeing lots and lots of family offices and hedge funds in Asia Pacific launch these funds. Um, and that's well documented. There's been a number of different reports that have come out um, over the years that have indicated a, a steady growth in terms of the number of funds, as well as the assets that have been accumulated under those funds in offshore fund structures that have typically emanated from Asia Pacific in terms of the issuers and in, in, in terms of their domicile. But I think as, as we kind of step forward, um, we've, we've seen that the, the types of strategies that have been uh, implemented by clients that have been looking to uh, provide exposure to crypto assets um, through traditional and non-traditional fund structures uh, has also started to vary. So they've not just been in the, the main coins on the crypto side, but they're also looking at alternative coins that, that might be able to uh, reap them some greater reward away from kind of the, the, the main coins itself. Um, in, in, in terms of the actual custody conundrum, they're, they're now starting to think a little bit more um, verbosely about what an institutional-like offering might be um, that would help them to be able to uh, then attract greater amounts of deposits and, and subscriptions from institutional investors that are really seeking that institutional-grade custody offering that, um, that has been somewhat lacking in the market over the last few years. Do you feel that if you get this right and you engender the confidence of, of your clients in that regard, that this will unlock a large amount of institutional uh, allocation into the digital asset space? I think that we have seen some steady increases as far as institutional asset um, asset owners and asset managers have, um, you know, have, 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 uh, have been wading into this space over, over time. I think what, what, we've noticed, what we've certainly noted in terms of this last crypto winter um, is that um, there has been more announcements coming from the traditional side where they're looking to take advantage either from investments into the ecosystem or launching private funds that um, potentially would allow their end clients uh, exposure to, to these types of assets in the future. I think they're become those types of announcements are becoming a little bit more frequent and they're being um, met by and followed up with uh, consultations from mature um, traditional jurisdictions in which those players tend to play. Um, so we've certainly seen a, a broader um, set of clients starting to come to us uh, mm -hmm. and suggesting that this is something that they would have interest in exploring further and understanding what the operational implications might be in terms of engaging in this market as they as they kind of see it as a asset class that is emerging that allow them to have greater return profiles from the underlying asset. 
what is the demand, Sven, one for you, as you're building this, do you think the demand will continue to be the pure crypto side, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or the altcoins, or do you have a sense that you're trying to build something that will be designed more for um, tokenization representations of traditional securities, but in a purely digital form um, or, or, or things in between? What, where do you see this infrastructure going? Uh, so for my side, I mean, it's very clearly what we're building is a, a digital asset platform. So therefore, um, uh, it, uh, cryptocurrencies are a use case, uh, but um, it uh, has to be ready uh, to support um, also, you know, tokenized financial instruments. But for me, it's very important. Uh, you cannot at all think of these as two different things. Uh, where do we have the you know biggest tokenization market? Well, today it's within crypto. It's not outside. So you can you know. Uh, tokenize a digital asset and tokenize it again and again and again. And that's exactly what's happening in crypto markets today. So uh, what, why this market is so appealing, I think, for, for financial in, um, marketplace is uh, really these techniques and uh, possibilities that are created within the cryptocurrency market that really translate so well into a lot of the activities a institutional marketplace would take. And what I said earlier around the the if you want the the potential of efficiency gains we can get from this is really related to this today you have a financial instrument a bond and you would invest in this or you would allocate this as collateral but in the crypto market you kind of now create a different uh, digital asset for that specific purpose so if you want to have your uh, tokenized financial bond in that instance now being allocated as collateral you just don't hand it over uh, to someone to manage this you create a, a new digital asset that is then specific for this purpose and all of the workflows are programmed into that. And that thinking is really something we uh, can learn and uh, will learn from the cryptocurrency market because it tries a, a real different uh, engagement model with, with your counterparties in, in order to transact on your various uh, business needs. What do you think will be the, the, the biggest driver for people to use, whether it's State Street Digital or, or, or like Mighty Competitor? What will be the, the biggest value add that you think you will be able to add to this space? Well, I think the first thing obviously is the uh, safety in terms of uh, the uh, making sure that your digital assets are protected. So that's this uh, key management uh, uh, conundrum if you want, and you have to get it right. And here, I think for me is the first thing uh, is this, this um, uh, notion that the crypto market has really evolved around the uh, you know, cold storage on one hand side where your key material is held offline uh, and that being uh, by some secured as a, a safe way of uh, protecting the key material versus the hot storage that you find in exchanges and really having to make this trade-off. Uh, do I want to be able to transact on, on my uh, investments quickly and therefore uh, being able to react to market changes versus uh, the need to not being able to do this and holding this in offline uh, storage. And that's something that we definitely want to overcome and actually be able to forget about this and saying there are ways where you can have your uh, cake and eat it too in terms of uh, there are key management solutions that we are implementing like uh, MPC, multi-party computation, embedded in a institutional, if you want, IT infrastructure um, that will allow us to provide uh, safety without necessarily having to lock everything away in the bunker and have uh, people coming in and out and doing this kind of stuff. How, how, how would that work? Yeah. Could, you, could you maybe just illustrate that or break it down so it's quite uh, as simple as you can to, so we understand what this is different than 
just having to choose between a hot or a cold wallet, either you know, you're plugged in or, or not? Well, it's, it's really, uh, uh, if you want, to, what, do you, what do you trust in? So um, as I said, cold is really the uh, having the key material offline. And therefore, what you do is if you want to do a transaction, you bring your transactional detail into that uh, offline area. You create a, uh, a transaction, which means you provide your, you create your digital signature based on that key, key material and then you take that uh, signed transaction out of that secure place and then put it back into your online world for it to be transacted. So basically you rely very much on, on uh, individuals, uh, human beings carrying stuff backwards and forwards between where you uh, operate normally versus uh, where that key material is done. And then if you think about an institutional framework, you have investors that sit across the globe that want to transact 24-7. That makes it, uh, for me, very um, difficult to imagine how this could be a good solution. So what we have done is the uh, relying uh, our infrastructure on, on something that's called uh, uh, multi-party computations. That basically means that um, instead of there being one key, uh, there's actually never one key. What uh, you do for a another cryptographic algorithm is you create uh, in a decentralized way uh, so-called key shards. And that means they are mathematically linked to each other that uh, um, when you want to sign a transaction, each of these key materials creates a part of that required uh, transaction and then it's assembled together. So what it does at the core is, if you think about this, it removes the single point of failure that is associated with a lot of the traditional key management solutions because there's no single key. It's very difficult if you want to uh, get attacked from that side because you, you have these uh, shards held in multiple places and it's uh, from the outside very difficult to understand which of these key shards belongs together because every account uh, that uh, you would manage would have its own uh, set of, of key shards that come together. And that's really what, what uh, we are but implementing. Ultimately, though, is there, a, is there still a point of a human point where somebody has the key to bring those shards together and ex have them execute in a, in a combined, you know, in an organized way? No, no, that's what I'm saying. So the key shards, they, um, they never come together. They're always um, uh, used uh, on, on their own to, if you want, sign part of the transaction, and then the, the transaction itself is assembled um, uh, together. So that's a key thing. You do not have a single key to start with, and also you never you know, put these keys together at a single point in time in order to do your transaction. I think if you put it another way as well, like what, what, you're, what you're thinking about in traditional custody is that um, where you have like traditional controls, almost like a safety blanket around maker checkers and four eye checks in, so in terms of mitigating the risks that are associated with the traditional way of, of custodying assets. That's kind of removed because you've got blockchain enabled platforms that will remove the need for things like reconciliations uh, that will take place on the chain. Okay, very interesting. How confident are you or at least your clients that this is a tested um, cryptography that people have faith that it's gonna protect their assets? Uh, I mean, um... In crypto land, you know, so the market is ten year old. Uh, ten year old, so it's a uh, you cannot uh, uh, start from there. What you have to really think is, what is um, the right model uh, at this is time, and uh, also a line of if you want the the market changes coming there. So that's I think very very important for for everything we are now talking about. This is not like in the normal sense where you know every. 10 or 20 years, the security uh, industry migrates from one ISO standard to the next. And so therefore, have a long time to prepare. This, uh, if you want, speed of change is happening uh, very fast. And so therefore, 
um, we have done extensive due diligence on the available energy to us. So we think uh, that approach is a good one, but it may change uh, in a couple of years' time. And so I've um, got to make <clears throat> so. Uh, so this technology is evolving and uh, we'll have to prepare and adapt in light of market changes. Okay. Well, at least that's very exciting. Um, what does that mean from the client side um, in terms of what do they need to be able to do um, to, to use your custody or to engage in um, multi-party computation or other things? Do they need to upgrade their, their IT, their integration? Uh, is, is there a big ask on, on the investor side for these sorts of services? Uh, or did you ask us, I think, quite uh, uh, big in, also in terms of um, there's a lot to learn if you want from crypto uh, investments, uh, how these uh, assets operate. So I think um, there, there, there is uh, a need to get in there. Now, in terms of the second infrastructure, we will maintain the private key. So uh, that's uh, the first thing that from that sense, a client really doesn't have to do anything. They will have to Send us an transaction uh, saying I want to, you know, buy or like a hold or uh, uh, deliver a, a digital asset somewhere. Um, so that sense, the the getting into that space as far as state suite is concerned is relatively straightforward. But what they do have to do is basically, um, obviously, have make sure that their portfolio managers are now able to trade in these um, assets. And so therefore clients will seek their own trading relationships, for instance, with a, a broker, et cetera, to provide them the investment uh, as such into the crypto space. On the compliance side, uh, Irfan, around the region, uh, how easy or difficult will it be for an institutional custody solution in digital assets be to, first, let's just start off with agree on the taxonomy. So um, if, if someone's trading um, a crypto asset, uh, you know, do all the regulars have a, a similar way of saying that's a currency or that's a commodity or that's a security? And, and you know, how does that sort of flow into the services that, that you want to provide? Yeah, so, so, so look, that's, that's a great question. And actually, I think the way that um, that we've kind of been on this journey um, has seen regulatory authorities have a little bit more harmony in terms of the way in which they speak in terms of digital assets. Digital assets as an umbrella is anything from cryptocurrencies, at least the way that we describe it is anything from cryptocurrencies, security tokens, NFTs, CBDCs, and everything else in between. So coming up with a an appropriate set of definitions that allow for regulators and the industry at large to be able to understand how this is actually going to work across this, that whole gambit or that whole spectrum of digital assets and, and uh, instruments is is not an easy task. Um, so there's ongoing discussions in some jurisdictions in the way in which so certain cryptocurrencies might be um, treated as a security. And this obviously has implications as far as tax, operational, reporting, um, you know, fiduciary responsibilities in the investment managers and so on and so forth are concerned. Um, but in terms of what we you know, what we're starting to see now is that you know we're we're encouraged that banks are, you know, um, are, are kind of coming together and, and speaking in the same terms in order to then be able to bring the entire industry on a journey. So regulatory clarity has been a significant um, thing that has come back from every survey worth their salt um, from you know from across the industry, and that's certainly something that's starting to, I, I guess. Um, rhyme at least across jurisdictions it may not be exactly the same thing but we're starting to see a little bit more 
um, in terms of the way in which, say, for instance, prudential regulatory authorities are, are really speaking in terms about um, these types of assets and what the treatment should theoretically be based on the, the definition that they come up with. Um, and of course, that also drives kind of like innovation. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see some regulators think think more earnestly about how they might be able to create a common set of standards. And, and again, standards is the operative word here, um, you know, in terms of ensuring that there is some some level of consistency um, from jurisdictions. I know certainly from 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 our institutional clients, um, they, they operate with us across multiple jurisdictions, you know, so so we're we operate in 100 markets. Um, and so the, the client experience is incredibly important in terms of allowing us to be able to build scale solutions. And I think that's that's also true within the digital asset sphere as well. The expectation is, is there to have a consistent experience, no matter where you might be transacting or creating or distributing those digital assets. Yeah, you sort of preempted my, my following question, which was about standards, but maybe I'll just spin it a slightly different way for, for Sven, which is... Um, what are the standards that you hope to be able to drive? Because you were talking about, Sven, your last comment was how this is all really sort of happening in real time, um, you know, and which is uh, which is great. But you also want to make sure that uh, that what you're doing is going to be compatible with what other institutions are doing um, and, or with what other marketplaces are up to. So um, when you think about these, these, these issues of standards, um, wh where do you hope to have the most impact? Are, is there a particular area that you think is, is critical? Yeah, I think that's uh, we have to think about um, standards in a very, very different way. So um, today you have a market infrastructure in a way it is um, um, enabled by regulation, if you want to um, enforce, dictate, whatever you want to call that, um, orchestrate the industry to, to uh, uh, interoperate in, in a certain way. So I see his team may say, well, I only will accept um, you know, messages in a certain standardized format and otherwise you cannot participate. Now, um, we have the same thing in blockchain, but it's no longer really a question of a group of banks or uh, market infrastructure coming together to defining that <clears throat> the market standard is effectively within the blockchain protocol. It is uh, the network protocol. It's the, um, if you want the rules around that, then you have to uh, subscribe to that. So the, um, the, the difference really is you will have standards, but the uh, what will what makes it a standard as today is the acceptance, but that uh, acceptance process is a decentralized process. So therefore, if an institutional investor were to decide, I like to invest in a particular type of digital asset and uh, so uh, ERC20 token, one of those terms of, let's say, a certain kind of definition around how a token is being structured, then by doing this, this kind of if you want, uh, convention now takes hold and is uh, being adopted more broadly. So I think what's what's very key, uh, but this being at the moment the very early stages of this uh, automated smart flow driven uh, universe that uh, we find ways to, as an industry, also to express our requirements that are then embedded in these kind of instruments and making sure a good way of driving automated workflows through a smart contract is this and not that and therefore um, making sure that the if you want the innovation that we see in that space is enforced but you no longer uh, can just like uh, make it happen you will have to uh, convince uh, if you want the consensus mechanism you know 51 percent of the network to follow you and then you have a good chance right okay so last question then is if we project ahead i don't know what the right time frame is a year Two, I don't know. I don't know. You, you can, you can get, guide me on that. Um, what were you excited about in terms of being able to offer institutional level custody for digital assets 
um, you know, what do you see yourself as being able to say, okay, uh, this is how, this is what we're doing. And this is the value. This is the, this is the cool stuff that is allowing people to, to do things that they weren't able to do before. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, for me, it's really um, the seeing the, uh, how things come together. It's no longer a question of you have a, uh, cryptocurrency portfolio investment on the one inside and you have your normal stuff how does it actually uh, come together there are a number of opportunities in this um uh, the instrument types for instance like stablecoin etc how they are being used today in the crypto market uh, as a means of payment for making uh, crypto investments why couldn't it be a good idea also for institutional uh, flows particular uh, when you have clients that may be operating uh, through multiple entities and you could use it so these ideas were suddenly you think about them using uh, the digital asset space for more than just providing custody of uh, uh, crypto investments, but also using now these instruments in order to drive efficiency. That's something that I find really exciting. And in a way, um, there are only few organizations which can do that, where you already have access to institutional investors and they've trusted you to take care of their traditional portfolios. And now we're adding crypto, but we don't want to run this as if you want two different worlds, we're looking for every opportunities to, um, if you want to provide the benefit of the digital investment uh, side uh, to the traditional portfolios and the other way around. So there's a, a real, I would say, excitement around how both could inspire each other to, to make improvements going forward. Yeah, and, and um, uh, Irfan, do you have a sense yet of how much of the traditional business can be improved upon or, or transformed by what you're doing on the digital side? Yeah, so, so some of the some of the common use cases that we've that we've kind of been looking at and have been um, kind of guided towards by our clients are, are some of the more private uh, markets, um, opaque assets, um, assets with liquidity profile that has the potential to be transformed um, and therefore allow for a greater velocity of trading activity that might be able to um, take place in those markets. And and again, it's it's really it's really something that like, like I want to come back to in terms of the standardization, creating a common platform that all of these assets can exist and transact upon. And in a way it's, 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 it's building upon what Sven's hopes and hopes and dreams are in terms of the, the, the merge that we see between traditional and digital. This, 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 I think is the the most important aspect, and and bringing all of those assets online um, will will help transform and transform the way in which institutional investors will will operate in the future. I mean, I know that say 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 for instance, we look at macro trends like direct indexing, and the potential for tokenization to have a huge impact for fractional ownership of of things, um, and then. You know, being able to democratize otherwise illiquid assets and use those platforms to be able to you know distribute and then pick a personalized portfolio based on your 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 wants and needs and your your values. Um, I think I think all of those things um, are really made possible uh, by the advent of digital assets um, and and a and a singular platform that would enable clients um, from an institutional point of view, at least to begin with. And you know that's what we're looking to build um, to be able to build in uh, you know, common standards and, and common capability that would extend far beyond what they do today on the traditional side. Great. Well, I think we're going to leave it at that. That's a great way to end our conversation today. Um, Sven Werner and Irfan Ahmed from State Street Digital, thank you so much for joining me on Digfin Vox. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.